Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Good morning. On April 10th, 1922, Critical, and it's WBT, WBT Charlotte, North Carolina. Was born. And I remember we would listen to WBT. Yeah, this is a big broadcast for WBT. Martin, that day out there. What do you want to hear tonight? Hello, WBT. You're on the air. Hello, Bob Lacey. Hello there, neighbor. Hello, first timer. Let's take it by Trapuca. Let's go! Hurricane Hugo has made land. Yeah, no power. No information coming into the station other than the telephone. It's a very special radio station because people care. It's the John Hancock radio program. Carolina Panthers have been named the NFL's newest expansion. <laughs> With their first touchdown. Bank of America Stadium. Right. Kind of jumping back and forth in our coverage what here. A long, strange trip. It still is. Throw me in the pool, please. Ray Carew's managed to evade police. David Chadwick. The plane has now crashed into the World Trade Center. Uh, it would appear purposeful. We'll be the first to welcome you to our little club thingy. Bam. I'm Stacey Sims. Charlotte's Mr. Wright. The Carolina Panthers are headed to Super Bowl 50. The Star Heels are going to win the National What's going to be the impact? We may of this? see some serious issues here at midnight. We're providing insight that they're not getting anywhere else. Mr. Trump, welcome to Charlotte Radio. Good morning, Bob. Hey, gather around, my friends, in this mythical ballot. WBT. The great colossus of the South. Through the years. I love this radio station as much as you guys do, but I love this radio station because of you guys. This powerful voice of the good stuff. This is Bo Thompson's Century Podcast. to the big show. Everybody at once, just yell at me and say, throw me in the pool, please. I love that. Let me hear you say, first time caller. That's beautiful. Let me hear you say, WBT. That's not bad. Get ready. You're now on board the hottest show in sports talk radio. Live from WBT Studios in Charlotte, North Carolina. In the spring of 1996, a new voice hit WBT like a bolt of lightning. We'll see you to man. That's so beautiful. And you get these basketball players that sit out. Oh, stop. Now, what are you saying? <laughs> so what are you saying? Uh, well, uh, so what are you saying, you little moron? Well, uh, I love you like a brother, you know that, but what are you saying? I don't know. It seems to... No, what are you saying? For the first time ever, on a regular basis, WBT split the signal of 1110 AM and 99.3 FM, and the Jerry V Show was born 4 o'clock weekday afternoons on 99.3. And then at 6.30, they joined the mothership, as Jerry used to say, and the show was simulcast on both stations until 8 o'clock. Well, Dev Curry was out... What are you saying? He played with a mask on his face, Tony. He had a broken nose. I I don't see a guy play with a mask on his face in the NHL. I don't see you driving a cab with a mask on your face and a broken nose. Well, I don't have stitches. Well, you want some? <laughs> yeah. Come on, let's go. Come on. We're going to behind the studio right now. Right on the parking lot. Come on. What are you going to tell your kids when you don't come home? <laughs> You're the one who won't be coming home. Bro. I'll see you later. Bye.
Welcome to the latest episode of my Century Podcast here on WBT. It's an honor for me to have the guy in the room that is sitting across from me. Uh, we have a, a rich history together. He has a rich Charlotte radio television history. But really, I mean, if I really want to put things in proper mindset and perspective here, I'm just going to play a soundbite. Happened by accident, and then it just took off. Wait a minute. It happened by accident? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was what that may be the most identifiable sound to you and your and your prime at WBT, and yet you didn't plan that one. That was not a, no, a choreographed planned. play. No, no. A caller called the show. It was a hot summer day, and I had said something. Uh, I said, "Man, it is hot out. It's ninety something degrees." I go, "I need to be that guy in that tea commercial where he falls backwards into the pool and splashes <laughs> in. That's what I need to do right now." And. The, the next caller goes, it's bumper to bumper out here, V-Man. I could be that guy, too. Uh, you can throw me in that pool. Throw me in the and then it clicked. Hey, V-Man, throw me in the pool. And I said, got to get that sound. And then we got it. Boom. Throw me in the pool. Throw me in the pool. Throw me in the pool. The Jerry V Show, where the pool is always open. And then I came out later on in the show and I said, you know, 95 degrees in Charlotte, North Carolina. It is hot. I'm taking a dip. Swoosh. Next caller. V, throw me in the pool. And it took off. V, man, it's good to see you. Great to see you, Bo. Yes, Thanks sir. for having me. Great memories. So what's it feel like to be back in this building today? Very nostalgic. We just had that hour and a half photo session. Yeah. Well, I couldn't believe everybody wanted pictures. No, but And autographs, too. Well, the studio looks great. When I pulled into the parking lot... You, all, you automatically, it's it's so funny how quickly you transport back in time. I pull into the parking lot and I go, I used to pull into this lot all the time. Yeah. Not in the guest slot, in the other one. Right. Uh, so it was nice to walk in. Clean the place up a little bit. It looks great. looks terrific. Yeah, this room we're, we're in right now, well, this used to be the, the, it still is a production room. but You it used cut to be. a lot of the promos for me. People have to appreciate how incredibly creative you were back in the day. I used to give Bo just an idea. <laughs> Remember that? Mm -hmm. Okay, do something like I'm just getting ready to walk on stage and do the old fix, whatever. And he'd go, okay. And then I wouldn't see you for a couple of days. <laughs> and then you'd call me in here and go, listen to this. And you, I go, my God, I don't know how you do it, but a tremendous theater of the mind. Sometimes I really wonder. Uh, by the way, all bits, segments, bumper music. Bobo to Davidson Wildcat puts it all together. He's in the middle of final exam, so he's a little brain dead. Way to go, Bo. Good tune. Hey, let me tell you what's wrong with this country. And then we know there's a lot of things wrong. When I was a young kid in this business, uh, you were the first guy who took an interest in some of the production that I was doing. Yeah. And, and you said, hey, uh, I think I was, I was doing a promo for the station. And you said, hey, why don't you give this a shot for my show? And when you said that to me, it was kind of like, oh, wow, if I, I'm going to do something, it might be on the Jerry V Show. Because people, uh, you have to understand, uh, the Jerry V Show back in this era, I mean, this was the deal at this station. And uh, so you, you asked me to put something together for you. And you always said something that still resonates with me to this day. Because anybody who listens to my show knows that I'm still deeply immersed in the production part. Yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't have any fun if all I could do was just talk. I want to be part of the, the creation. But you used to say the phrase, make this your canvas. Yeah. 
I love that word, and it, and it really uh, it's kind of planted a seed in me as a young kid wanting to you know do something in this business. And you were one of the guys who who uh, took an interest and in, and made me feel appreciated around here. So I you know way back then I'll always be indebted to you for that. So it's a special joy to be able to talk to you in this format today because boy the Jerry V era what a rich era that was uh, in the in the nineties into the two thousands. And 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 back in then in doing it. When, when I used to tell Bo, I used to tell you, don't tell me, just do it. <laughs> just, just surprise me. And then Rick Jackson said, you got to get a sound box. Yeah. All you know, the effects. And you were the first one to have one of those. Yeah, because I like to do, I wanted to do quick little drops to make it sound like other people were in the studio responding to me and not always agreeing or mocking me mm-hmm. so I could keep the pace of the show. And I never forget, God bless him, I think his name was Tommy Poole, used to be a writer in town when the Observer used to have movie career. David T- Poole. David Poole, yeah. critics. And he said, what are you doing? What is V doing on the radio? It sounds like a circus. <laughs> and then I told him one day, it's happening in radio. This is, this is theater of the mind. And then about a month later, he called me and he goes, now I get it. Yeah. Now I get it. That's what I'm talking about. Sometimes they say I'm crazy, but I don't really care. Today I do my talk show. In my underwear. I heard on this other radio show this guy called the Sports Babe. You ever heard of him? Uh, no, it's a girl. It is? Yeah. Sure sounds like a guy. <laughs> Got a first time caller out of Rock Hill named John. John, welcome to the Familia. Hey, Jerry. Sorry, I almost fell asleep. Oh, that's okay. How come you almost fell asleep? What happened? I was, I don't know. Yeah, you didn't feel good, huh? Okay, we'll call another show. Let's go to Joe in Fort Mill. Joe, how are you? <laughs> what's up? I mean, what's the matter with that guy? What's up, pal? Sometimes I got to be me, I got to be free, I got to be V. So let's get down to it. Jerry Valancourt, Jerry V. You started at WBT in 1996 full-time. You came over from, I guess, what then was, wasn't even WFNZ then. Wasn't it WRFX? It was RFX um, AM. AM, And then it became WFNZ, so they just changed the call letters. And I never forget when Macon Moy, the general manager, who also had a great theater of the mind that I've reconnected with here in Charlotte, they had a naming contest. So they finally named it. And... uh, it got launched, and we started a sports talk show. So you were there when it was WFNZ. I was there. Pro- I was there when it was RFX, right. and then became WFNZ. So I was there during the transition. So you remember that because yeah, you're yeah. right. Intercom Charlotte, which owns WBT now, and uh, two years ago acquired WFNZ. So I always said to people when uh, that first happened, you know, a lot of the the, the newer listeners and newer people to Charlotte. Uh, don't understand the context of 610 and 1110 because back in the days, you know, the the 60s and the 70s, WBT had some fierce battles with what was called then big waves. Exactly. And uh, the you know Stan Kaplan and Sis Kaplan that owned that station. So the idea that 610 and 1110 are owned by the same company under the same roof. If you and they were two, and they were two pioneers in understanding and grasping the value of talent on the air. Mm-hmm. They they got it. I mean, they thoroughly understood what that was all about. So they were pioneers in that field as well. 
So let's talk about the origins of Jerry V as a broadcaster. I don't know where it started. I don't think I've ever had you explain this to me before. At a subway in New York City. <laughs> I walked right into that one. I'll, I'll tell you how it all started. Uh, I, I wanted to be a high school teacher. I became a teacher. I wanted to be a high school coach. I became a coach. I wanted to be a college coach. I became a coach. Um, one day, I am guesting on a show on uh, Fox 8 television. Okay. It was Fox 8? 18. Oh, yeah, WCCB, right? right? Fox yeah. 8 was a station I worked at in New Orleans. And I was a guest on a show being hosted by Gary Sparber. Oh, yeah. Used to work here. And one of the segments was about recruiting, uh-huh. college basketball recruiting. And I'm doing the, the guest slot, and a gentleman by the name of Cy Bayhackle that owned Fox 18 was watching that particular show. A couple of days after that, I get a phone call from him and a gentleman by the name of Steve Solinger, who was the GM, and they said, you know, that was a great segment that you did. And Cy Bayhackle called me in his office, and he said, have you ever done television? I go, no, sir, never have. He goes, I see talent in you. You know what he says to me? <laughs> I want to create your own show. I'm going, what the hell? <laughs> create my own show? I've never done television. And he goes, you have potential. I know talent. So they started Sports Talk TV. Right. I'd never done television, Bo. And then when I'm doing that, as I'm hosting that and I'm messing around with NASCAR drivers on a set, doing a give and take, bang, 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 bang. Gentleman by the name of John Woodstock calls, and he goes, uh, I'm thinking of changing a format at a local station to make it uh, sports talk radio. Mm-hmm. Charlotte needs that. It needs competition. Uh, have you ever done that? I go, no, I haven't. He says, come in and do an audition. So I do, and he gives me an hour show. We called it the Lunch Bunch. Started at noon. A week later, it becomes a two-hour show. Then it becomes a three-hour show. So now I'm doing TV show. I'm doing the Hornets, and I'm doing the radio show. Mm-hmm. And then that, it went to FNZ. Then I got the bug. I got the bug. I've always loved public speaking, speaking to groups. I got behind the mic. When I started telling stories, he told me, first week you're on the air, you're not allowed to take any phone calls. If you can't tell a story on your own and carry a show without calls, you're not made for the business. Greatest lesson I ever learned. And he gave me three rules. And I did it, and I got hooked. And then, <laughs> from that point forward, it now, took off. Now, uh, he told me, never blanking, I can't curse on your podcast, never effing bore me. Never. Be prepared. I know you will. Tight clock, and don't you ever bore me. Be you. I didn't hire you to be anyone else. Then he walked out. And the rest is history. And boom. <laughs> and then I started picking the brains of all kinds of people in the business and tried to absorb as much as I could about formatics and stay true to yourself. And then, boom, there it is. I got addicted. Now, I remember the first time I ever heard you on the radio in Charlotte. This is long before yeah, we you were... call the cops. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. And, and then I said, there's a female with you. And years later, that female, who at the time, if I'm right about this, was, was called the Mick. Yeah, Jerry right? V and the Mick. Jerry V and the Mick. And Mick is now Michelle Tafoya, that's who correct. you see on NBC. Yeah. So you all did a... I don't know how long you were together. Like about a year. Yeah. Um... I remember when the story broke. This is how Mickey, Michelle, 
who I think is an amazing NFL sideline reporter. Her preparation, I saw it back then, was absolutely yeah. through the roof. Um, we're doing a show one day, and the story, I get a phone call about a tip. Uh, somebody called me from the eastern part of the state of North Carolina about Michael Jordan's father. Oh. Because I used to recruit that area. Okay. And uh, it got confirmed. So we broke the story, and AP gave us credit for this part of the country. So all of a sudden, we're inundated with phone calls to do interviews on other stations around the country about what happened. And Michelle, I did, we said, let's split them up. Let's just split them up. So I did about seven or eight. She did about seven or eight. One of the stations she was on, because her goal always was to do the NFL. One of the stations in Minnesota, KFAN Sports Radio, was so impressed by the segments she provided for them. And in the exchange with, I guess, the management of the program director, she told him what her goals and aspirations were. And they saw something in her, flew her up, offered her a job. Wow. So her career. Because her goal was she wanted to work that NFL. And she did. And boom. Yeah. So she got, we both went on different career paths. We both got what we wanted. And she blossomed into something that is just simply outstanding for her. Yeah. I mean, she is the, on the premier NFL broadcast. I'll never forget her. Because yeah. she got Mickey Mantle on my show, my birthday show one day. She came in the studio one day with a Yankee uniform, and she goes, I got a birthday gift for you. And we went to the guest line, and it said, happy birthday, V-Man. I go, yeah, who's this? It's the Mick. Mickey Mantle. And boom. Are you serious? Is this who I think it is? Hello. Hi. Are you talking to me? Ah. <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't believe me. Can Jerry hear me? Yes, yeah, he can. can. Is this Jerry, the real? This is Mickey Mantle. I'm in Dallas, Texas. You're kidding. Michelle called uh, this girl that's been my agent for about eight years, and we've been doing those card shows. Yeah. And guys, about everybody always says, how come you're so popular now, you know? And I think it's because of people about your age, you know, that was about 10 or 11 then. Right. Are like 40 or 45 now, and they have kids, and they bring them to those card shows. And I'm, I'm telling you, it's just, it's mind-boggling. It's uh, And people, a lot of times, will say, don't you get tired of this? Say, hell no, man. This is, <laughs> this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me, you know, because I retired in 69, the spring of 69. Right. For a couple of years there, Mickey Mantle just kind of passed out of the picture. And then the next thing you know, this uh, uh, card craze or memorabilia craze came along. And I get I get uh, bigger lines than uh, anybody now. It's just, uh, and I, that's the only reason I can think of is that people uh, that are about your age are the ones that are, you know, bringing their kids to the card shows now. No, stop rubbing in the age, okay? I, have to. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't say, rubbing it in yeah. on you. I'm rubbing it in on me, man. But I tell you, Mickey, you though. remember this. When you was 11, I was 31. There you go. <laughs> I just remember I used to go to Yankee Stadium every weekend growing up in New York. Of course, my dad would take me there. He was a big Yankee fan. And those great teams with you and, and Yogi and Roger and Tony Kubek and Richardson and company and Whitey, et cetera, and the baseball memories. Hey, no. Mick, no kidding. I was 11 years old. I'm going to go way back. And, you know, back in those days, you can get near the clubhouse if you knew somebody. And uh, I met you out there, gosh, I don't know how long ago that was. And, well, if, uh, if you're 40 and you, if you're 40, how old are you, 40 what? No, now it's 4'2", babe. 42? Yeah. 
Well, if that, if you was 11, that was 31 years ago, right? <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Somebody get me some Ben Gay. <laughs> but anyway, we've declared ourselves here, Mickey, as the uh, as the, the New York Yankee quarters for the southeastern part of the country, and we have a lot of baseball. But every time we have a memory show, it's always baseball, baseball, and. You're the number one vote it's getter. True. The memories you provided for people, Mickey, I tell you, is just unbelievable. And this well, is. Well, North, uh, we have a lot of we had a lot of fans down in that area. Remember that home run he knocked out of that park, guys, in the studio. We got several people in the studio. Yeah, that was the supposedly the longest one ever. Five sixty-five. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yes, we're talking to Mickey Mantle on Sports Six Ten WAQS. And Mick, I don't know what to say, but this has been the icing on the cake. This has to be. Here I am. I'm 42 years old. This has to be the most complete birthday gift that a guy could get who's grown up to be a Yankee fan. Mickey, I told you, he is a major uh, Mickey Mantle fan. In fact, uh, I think he named me after you. No kidding. No yeah, kidding. That's why we call the <laughs> show. That's why they call me the Mick. Jerry it's the only way. The Mick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. But I, but I, trust me, I could never even think of myself on near. Are you all that in North Carolina? <laughs> <laughs> Plus, you can't hit like he does anyway. That's true. Where you all at in North Carolina? In Charlotte. We're in Charlotte. Oh, Charlotte? Yeah. yeah. Well, I might be down there. Uh, we're thinking about trying to come down in there and play some golf. Uh, they got great golf courses down there, and I don't have anything to do for a while. So you'll stop by the studio? Well, we'll uh, I'll keep your phone number. You better. You, you keep the phone number, and if you come in here to play golf, we know a lot of people in this city. We'll take care of the golf course for you. We'll put you on the best one in town. Okay. And if you love to play. But, uh, Mickey, seriously, though, thank you so much for calling on the birthday. That's very nice of you to place the call, and uh, it just adds that great final touch. Old number seven. Well, let me tell you what, Jerry and Mick. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough to say, isn't it? <laughs> Thanks a lot uh, for uh, even asking me to call you. That's nice to be remembered. Well, it's a pleasure, and uh, believe me. Immortalized nobody, is the Nobody word. has forgotten you, and nobody will. You've provided baseball fans with memories that they never, ever will forget. And we want to thank you for that. Well, thank you. It was a lot of fun, and I wish I could do it again. Well, we hope to see you when you stop into North Carolina. We'll give you a call. Great. Thank you, Mickey. Thank you all. Thanks. How did you pull that off? So I'm forever indebted to that moment. Now, uh, I was going to get to this later on, but but let's just do it now. It, it, is that your most memorable radio moment of Ooh. all time? Bo, let me tell you, I've interviewed governors, senators, city council people, professional athletes. There was one particular night in my sports broadcasting career in Charlotte, and I think I still have the advertisement at home. I had on one show, Mike, it was, we called it Championship Night. Okay. Michael Rizzioni that scored the winning goal against Russia. Yeah, 1980. Jimmy Valvano that won the last national championship. 83. Without the shot clock. Roly Massimino when Villanova upset uh, Georgetown. I want to say 85. Yogi Berra, multi-World Series American League pennants with the New York Yankees. Angelo Bernatelli, Notre Dame's first Heisman Trophy winner. And Alec Webster, five, six-time All-Pro for the New York Giants. That was one show. One show. <laughs> and I'll never forget, I asked the final question to wrap it up. Out of all you guys on the set, who won the greatest title? 
<laughs> and they're all given their reasons. Valvano goes, I milked the clock. We worked it beautifully. You know, so wait, ma- these were all together? All together. Okay, I thought you meant that no, was the guest no. list. Okay. Yeah, the guest list I mean, but, all one night. But, you know, one after the other. This was all they're together. They're all there. Oh, holy cow. That's... And 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 and, and, uh, and, and Massimino goes, oh, Villanova, we weren't <laughs> supposed to beat Georgetown. Nobody gave us a prayer. And Yogi Berra goes, no, no, man, he's still with the New York Yankees. And on it goes. And you get to uh, Mike Rizzioni of the hockey team, Team uh-huh. USA. Right. He stands up and he puts both fists up in the air and he goes, to hell with them. All <laughs> these guys ever did was beat one team. We beat a whole damn country. And everybody just went out because we were out on remote. Everybody went absolutely nuts. Uh, that was one of the all-time high. That and Mickey Mantle and guys, to so, Dean Smith and goodness gracious, just so many. Well, I, I I heard the Mickey Mantle call because you had tape of it and you played it later yeah. in years on WBT. So uh, let's go back on the timeline here. Uh, I talked about uh, Michelle Tafoya mm-hmm. and your time at uh, WFNZ in its infancy. Right. And then you get a phone call, or you tell me how this happens. I, I was working here part-time, so I remember when Jerry V arrived at WBT right. in 1996, but I don't know if I know Does the— Does cigar smoke bother you? Okay. <laughs> Well, there was plenty of it back for that. So uh, tell me how that came to be, because I know that was a very significant moment. From there your... to here? Well, yeah. When you left uh, WFNZ to come to WBT, how did that happen? And talk to me about arriving here. There was a bidding going on on who was going to get the Hornets. Yeah. And I was the analyst for the Hornets. Okay. And Macon Moy was the general manager. And uh, Macon Moy goes, well, what are you going to do? I would like you to stay here. So I went in. I never used an agent. I've had guys that wanted to be. So I went in. Well, they're going to offer me this, and I get to do my show, and I get to still travel with the team and do the show from the road. Mm-hmm. And then eventually a parlay, too, because I was doing pre- and post-game radio, that pre-game, post-game call-in show for the Panther games. And, and just as a point of context, the Hornets' flagship station during that time was WBT. That's right. And the, and the Panthers, which we'll get to in a moment. Right. So um, Rick Jackson. General manager. Yeah. Wanted to chat. Macon Moy goes, wonderful guy, Macon Boy. Loved him to death. And he goes, uh, okay. So it's just like a scene from a movie. Gets out a pen, takes a piece of paper, scribbles an amount, slides it across the table. He goes, <laughs> I'll pay you that. It was a six-figure contract for back in the day, which was amazing. Uh-huh. And I said, okay, we'll talk tomorrow. And then I met with Rick and saw what the opportunities were going to be. And Rick was so honest. He says, I can't pay you what they're paying you year one, but we can do a progressive contract. But we'd like to have you here. Do the games. Do your show. And we'll make arrangements with the team and all. When you're traveling, you can do your show from the road. And I didn't, wasn't ready to give up the NBA. If I stayed at the other place, I would have to have given up my mm-hmm. auxiliary right. projects. I wasn't ready. So I came here. And I remember uh, you had your own studio down the hall here yeah. because, as we uh, described, you were on 99.3 from 4 to 6.30, and then at 6.30 you joined 11.10, so you're on both uh, both parts of the uh, WBT signal then. And... Um, 
those early days with your show, now it's important to point out that this was right at the beginning of the Carolina Panthers era. That's right. So people talk about uh, the landscape of, of sports here in Charlotte. The two tent poles, uh, no disrespect to the Charlotte Knights or, or uh, you know other sporting teams here, but we all know the NBA and the NFL, uh, once, once those two tent poles were put in place in Charlotte, that's what put Charlotte on the national sports spectrum. And so uh, there you are, uh, part of the Hornets in their early days and part of the Panthers, just as that's getting off the right. ground. And WBT is the flagship station for both. That's right. And and then eventually North Carolina. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and I I don't mean to uh, to uh, uh, downplay North Carolina. North Carolina, uh, save for what five years or so in a couple of spots, has been on WBT for years. I mean, you hear stories about how Dean Smith right. used to use the signal to to help recruit because right. people could hear it in so many parts. And of the we country. used to use it too when I yeah. was at Davidson coaching college basketball because our games were on BT. And we used to tell recruits, your parents will be able to listen to you in Charlotte. <laughs> and then we'd scramble into the car. Better make sure that damn signal gets up here. We're in New Jersey. And it did at the time. And for you millennials, that's not because uh, you could pick them up on, on, uh, on a dot com. That's because at night, WBT's 50,000-watt signal beams up and down the East Coast. Right. And you can hear, I mean, I've, I've heard it in Maine before. I know people who've heard it in deep uh, parts of Florida. We had that old jingle that said, from Canada to Cuba. That's not a joke. I remember when Bob McKillop. Uh, when he was starting out at Davidson, called me from the Brooklyn Queens Expressway in New York. Yeah. And he goes, I'm picking you up in New York, because we're both from, from New York City. I'm picking you up. I'm picking you up up here. He was just starting out at Davidson. So there you are, 1996, the right. Jerry V Show on WBT. Uh, like I said, I, I was a, a young buck here at the time, but just going in and watching you, and you did a different kind of radio, V. I mean, you talked earlier about using the sound effects machine. We yeah. call it an instant replay machine. But you use music in a different way than anybody yeah had here before. Yep. I, I started working here uh, you know, several years before that, and uh, it's not that music wasn't on BT before, but there was a, you know, the era we live in now, sports talk radio and, and uh, rock and roll, uh, you brought an edge that uh, BT had never had before. And, and I was told that um, I took a lot of pride in the bumper music, yeah. how to set up the mood, and I used to tell the producers that would do the show when I was here at BT, I had some terrific ones. Bumper music for me is the psychology. It's a driving force. Mm -hmm. It keeps my mood. And we did that. And, and then the, the sounds carefully implemented because I wanted to build theater. And my style was, I'm a firm believer that Blunt is beautiful. I thought about maybe somebody like a Purvis Ellison. Purvis Ellison? He has athleticism and, you know. He, he doesn't have athleticism for this world. Oh. <laughs> Purvis Ellison, are you kidding? He doesn't run anymore and, and quite frankly, has no game. Purvis Ellison, interesting. How about Purvis Ellison for the three-on-three -three tournament downtown? Well, that's why you're the man. You How know? about Purvis Ellison to play on Mars? You can't stop there. How about Purvis Ellison for your local YMCA team? Love you, Tommy to death in Asheville, but Purvis Ellison. How about Purvis Ellison to do your grocery? Shopping. Purvis Ellison. Purvis Ellison's game is gone. He stopped playing when he was a sophomore in college. Okay, bring Purvis Ellison in. Maybe if they, if the media department needs a stat guy. Purvis Ellison has no game anymore. It's gone. It's disappeared. Purvis Ellison is a big guy. Give me a break. <laughs> I love Tommy's a great guy. He calls the show Purvis Ellison. My name is Purvis No Game Ellison. It's unbelievable. Give me a break with Purvis Ellison. Boy, that guy struck a nerve. Well, I think we should bring Purvis Ellison in and let him play center. 
and let some guy come through and nail Biakabatuka. I'm the man, Jared, that talked to you the other night. You've been giving me a hard time for three days. Let me tell you something, Darren. I admire the hell out of you. You got chutzpah. This is the guy, Darren, who said oh. he'd let the guy in, get Biakabatuka, and he's man enough to call. I love this man. He's the guy. Oh I want gosh. Darren to be put to the front of the line anytime he calls. Darren, you have a scholarship to the Jerry B. Show. <laughs> You never say anything that's going to cost the station a license, obviously. But I think the theatrics, and the biggest compliment I've ever gotten, Bo, in my career was, God, you're the same way off the air that you are on the air. <laughs> I mean, what did you expect? But I believed in theater. What are you doing? I was taught by very bright people. And when I started in the business, I spoke to producers and other lines of work, TV, et cetera, et cetera. And... Theater is important. What do I do to captivate the person that's behind the wheel in the car? And when you have a caller goes, I stayed in the driveway listening to you. I couldn't go in. The setup, the sign-off, the tease, the whole thing, basic fundamentals that I was taught in day one. I'm a firm believer in that, how it resonates. And it was in my wheelhouse because it fit my personality on the style. Some people couldn't handle the honesty about their team. But there were always stories in a box score and stories in the stats, but I didn't want, I used the stats, Bo, and in today, I tell people, don't allow the heavy analytics, which are, when beautifully used, add to the story, to interfere with the artistry of the story, of what you see. So I wanted to keep that. Uh, I remember you used to do your, your live endorsements, and you had a bed underneath it, and that was different. Mm -hmm. uh, and you had characters on your show. You had, uh, I remember uh, Tony the Cabbie, and I remember Joe the, uh, fan. Joe the fan. I mean, you had, I've I seen before. To hey, listen, real quick, UConn, did you watch any of the UConn games? Yeah, Joe, what a stupid question. What? Am I, uh, it's March Madness. It's like a guy, you. hey, as a guy goes, hey, you didn't watch that North Carolina what? game, did you? No. No, no. As a matter of fact, I didn't. I was just hanging out, took a bath, went fishing. Well, of course I watched well, them. I, I watch everything. Were, I knew you were out of town. And I, what, I don't have TVs out of town? <laughs> no, I went out of town. I, I went, what do I go, to okay, live in a woods? Wait. What am <laughs> I, in a tent? What was wait I, in a, a tent with now. Daniel Boone? Come no, on. Listen, I got a satellite, and I know you can't get every game wherever you are. You I mean, it's March Madness for crying out loud. What are you calling a sports show you and can't. saying, hey, did you see the game? Okay. It's unacceptable. It's March Madness for crying out loud. Holy, don't you know I don't sleep no, in March? No, listen to me. Holy cow. You cannot watch every game. That's Why a don't travesty. Game on TV? <laughs> That's unacceptable to ask me that question. What do you got, 10 TVs Yes, in your I house? do. As a matter of fact, I had three of them. <laughs> <laughs> Is that why you didn't go to the... I was looking for you Saturday night. You weren't there. I was out of town. I went to visit my father. Yeah, well, how the hell did you watch a game when you were visiting your father? Because guess what he bought 20 years ago? A television oh. set! <laughs> I wanted to establish a relationship because it's like owning a restaurant. If they come in, and that was before a lot of social media came in. Now yeah. you can inter interact with social media. People don't call shows as much as they used to. They don't have the patience anymore, unless you're in a monster market uh, like a New York would have you. Do you wish sometimes when you think about it uh, or wonder at least what it would be like to have had social media and, and smartphones back in that era when you were on uh, in, in Oh, the yeah, because what I could have done with videos. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, posting videos, etc. I got approached the other day by a guy that says, would you do editorials for me on your iPhone video? Just give me 60-second <laughs> quick hits and what have you. But... It was important. It was like a restaurant, Bo. You want the customer to come back after they've had the first meal. 
You came in. Oh, good. Did you like the, the Did you like the steak? Good. Next time you come back, try the turkey. <laughs> so I wanted to keep giving them things to keep bringing them back, and then it just started to grow. And that's why my heart was broken in 2002 when the team left for New Orleans. Well, let's talk about that. So you were on 1996 to and until 2002 here, and that was a crossroads for your career, uh, and it wasn't necessarily one that you planned, but the Charlotte Hornets, you know, George Shin, uh, the team packed up their bags and they moved to New Orleans, Mm -hmm. and that was, it was teased for a few years, so you could see the writing on the wall that something was going to go down with the Hornets, but I think, I don't know how your mind was about it. I know mine was, well, uh, I see the possibility, but I won't believe it till I see it. And then all of a sudden, wow, this team that arrived in 1988, and you remember, I mean, 1988, the Hornets were the only game in town. Mm-hmm. They were the biggest deal going. Uh, you could never have imagined that team leaving, and no. then all of a sudden they were gone. And I you- thought I was going to be a lifer. I yeah. was at a heritage station. When I started at the other stations, I started media in Charlotte in 1989 uh, and wound up over here. Uh, but... I said, I'm at a heritage station. The show is gaining so much momentum. Management loved it. The listeners liked it. The sponsors liked it. My heart was broken, but I knew the backstory. Yeah. I knew the team was leaving. It was a very nasty backstory, and I knew it was leaving. And when they left, I was like, because I had a chance to leave to go to ESPN. I had an ESPN offer before the Hornet job to do mm. college basketball. But I said, no, I solved the riddle. I'm like, I like my lifestyle here. Yeah. And when we left, I was like, oh, no, I was crushed. That's why I almost didn't go to New Orleans. I almost went to Denver. I had a job offer to go to K-Fan Sports Radio in Denver. But I said, I'll give it a shot. And I went to Denver and then on the way home, stopped in New Orleans and stayed a week and I said, I'm not ready to give up the NBA, but yeah. I just loved what was happening here, and it, it took me a while to get over that. Well, and, and we've talked about WBT. We should also talk about your, you know, you, know, you, you, had, uh, uh, you had dual lives here. I mean, they both were connected by sports, but uh, you worked for the Charlotte Hornets uh, during the you know entire time they were in Charlotte mm-hmm. for the first stint, and you uh, worked with Steve Martin, and, and there was good. It was an interesting broadcast because you guys had one of the biggest uh, teams of broadcasters of any NBA team I could imagine at the time, and it was an interesting uh, setup where you had. I mean, it was you and and Steve Martin was the director of uh, broadcast operations for the Hornets, and he was a sports director here for a long time before that. But so you had Steve Martin, and you had you, and you had Gil McGregor, and you had Mike Jeminski. Uh, I know Bob Licht was here towards the end of that. Ten on a shot clock. Hits Wesley as he curled off the baseline. Reggie marked him. Reggie falls down. David spots up. David hit it again. Oh, he made him pay. Oh, he made him pay. David Wesley, five points in a row. He's taken over the game. He's got that heavyweight boxer mentality right now. You had about four or five guys that would interchange, correct me if I'm wrong here, between radio and TV. Like, you would do some TV games, and you did do some radio games. And I didn't like that. No? And I told you, I said, you, you got you to gotta build teams. You can't please everyone. You got to build teams. You got to let that way you, the team develops chemistry and yeah. cadence and pace and identity with the audience. So, you know, that setup was fine. It didn't go on. It didn't go on forever. Now, you uh, went with the team to New Orleans. You get to New Orleans, and then what happens there? I get down to New Orleans, I get settled in, and I can't believe that I'm there. And I said, okay, got to get it going. Yeah. Got to get it going. And I went and chatted with a few people at certain stations. 
I get a call one day, and um, the voice says, I hear we need to talk. I go, talk about what? The stock market? Is this an inside <laughs> trader? Do I owe you money from back in the day? He goes, no. I meet with a group of gentlemen. We have some cocktails. We have dinner. And he says, I'm starting an all-sports radio station in New Orleans, and uh, I would like you to anchor it, do my afternoon drive. If you want afternoon drive, unless you want to do mornings, pick a slot. Right. I said, I'll do afternoon drive. And then Sports Radio 1280 was born. And I discovered in New Orleans the passion and the engagement of the sports fan. And I turned it into an unbelievable great time. And the show just went, poof! It just, like, took off. And the local newspaper, the Times-Picayune, sent Angus Lynn in. Mm-hmm. who is one of their legendary writers. He's since retired. And he calls me up and he goes, you made it. They're talking about you in the bars in New Orleans. And <laughs> if they're talking about you in the bars in New-, New Orleans, has the most unique culture I've ever lived in, Bo. And if they're talking about you in New Orleans in the bars, you're in. <laughs> and I got to spend time with you, he says. I said, okay, comes in his studio, spends, stays with me the whole show. Yeah. And the paper does this beautiful full two-page story and the headline said the v-man cometh (laughs) perfect fit for new orleans and that just also helped yeah and then when i got initiated into the men's club in new orleans a couple of the mannings were there archie manning was there uh one of his sons was there and the tradition was as the indicator to let you know you're accepted while you're the speaker at the luncheon they bombard you with biscuits (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so all these biscuits come flying back, and they're yelling, now you're one of us, and we had a toast. And the show just took off. I mean, and and then in 2002, the team moved in 2002. Yeah. From 2002 to 2005, we got it going on. And then Katrina hit. Well, and... And, and that destroyed absolutely everything. Total devastation. It will never leave you, and I'm not exaggerating. Uh, the team, we were waiting word to see where the team was going to move. We thought we'd move to Norfolk. We thought suburbs of Chicago, an additional team. We thought maybe Long Island, New York, whatever. But I stay behind for an additional month to do emergency broadcasting. I did the 7 to 2 a.m. shift. Right. Where you would talk to people, help locate missing people, interview rescue people, interview politicians, just talk to people. You'd actually be talking to people, Bo. It was the comeback of the transistor radio mm-hmm. um, that were waiting to be rescued. Um, and we slept on airbags. I slept in a conference room for a few weeks. And then they moved us to Baton Rouge because the water levels were getting too high in New Orleans. And then while in Baton Rouge, uh, I get word after a few weeks, you got to be in uh, Oklahoma City. Yeah. I went, I was fully credentialed by the military and by the media. And some writers from the Los Angeles Times and other papers were spending time with me and following me around and what I was doing. And I remember coming in in a military Humvee into New Orleans to tour the city. And it was it was as if, Bo, you call central casting and you told them, design a set for me that looks like the aftermath of World War Three, nuclear Armageddon. It was gray, destroyed. 
on doors of buildings and homes with a number of, they had a code in a circle. The top number would tell you how many bodies were found. The bottom number would tell you how many people were rescued or how many pets were found dead or rescued. And then when you saw, you know, body bags and you mm-hmm. saw, the, the national media did not do justice for what was really happening in all of the neighborhoods, but it was total devastation. Now, were you displaced? Well, I moved. I mean, you had to move, but I mean, where you were living at the time Katrina hit, was that? Miracle. Yeah? Miracle. I had moved from downtown New Orleans uh, that was totally flooded. Uh-huh. Uh, like a year, year and a half prior. Right. To River Ridge, which is a suburb. River Ridge is on the highest ground. It's only about 15 minutes from downtown, but geographically... The slopes and all were different because I wanted to be closer to the airport. The military, I get an escort to my house because I have to get to New Orleans to pick up some clothes. Yeah. So the military puts the, there's no power now. Hmm. There's Blackhawk choppers in the air bow. There's military posts on corners, lights. I mean, this is like a lockdown of security on the entire city. I mean, it, it'll boggle your imagination when you see fully armed and strapped down military and state trooper personnel not allowing certain access. You have to be fully credentialed to get in and out of the city at this time. One of the guys goes to me, you ready? I go, yeah. And they shine the big floodlight <clears throat> on the house. They go, you ready? We're going to open the door. I'm thinking, what the blank am I going to see? I open the door. There was the pen that I had left on a legal pad on a desk was still there. The house did not take on any damage except for debris in wow. the yard. Wow. Talk about luck because River Ridge yeah. on the higher ground. There was flooding, but not enough flooding to do damage to where I was. It was like, holy cow, what a miracle. Now, a lot of people don't know this about you, the people in Charlotte at least. I mean, I think they've learned it since you've been back, but a lot of people don't realize that uh, while you were in New Orleans, you, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I I think Katrina um, opened the door with some of the coverage that you did to take you down the road of doing non-sports programming. Yeah. Because you developed quite a career in Louisiana doing news talk and television yeah. that uh, had nothing to do with sports that we remember you for here, correct? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing how different doors open. When we evacuated New Orleans, Bow and went to Oklahoma City, uh, I sat with the program director at KTOK News Talk Radio. Mm-hmm. And got to know them well. And um, I said, I've always had an adventure of wanting to do something outside of sports. I'm doing the Hornets. I'm doing radio with Hornets and things. I'd like to do a lifestyle show, politics, news, sports, issues in the city. So I started to do an early evening show on News Talk KTOK. Mm -hmm. Then the team moved back. I did that for two years up there. Then the team moved back to New Orleans and I'm doing the NBA, and you have to restart a show, which we did on a different station. Um, and I was doing that until, let's see, we moved back in 2007. In 2012, Tom Benson buys the Hornets. He also owns the Saints. So they call me in an office. They give me a phone call. They say, we got to talk to you. It's very confidential. You're going to meet with us. Then I discover all the other broadcasters were let go. 
They call me in and they go, you've obviously heard we're making changes in the broadcast department. It's no indication on your talent and all. We want to disassociate from everything that had to do with previous ownership. Mm -hmm. That was a messy story down there. They said, plus, you don't want this job anyway. Go, what do you mean I don't want this job? (laughs) I love basketball. No, 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 no. We got something better for you. It was one of the most fascinating things I ever experienced, Bo. I go from being told you're being relieved of being the analyst, because Tom Benson also owned news entities, to being walked. They said, come back in another day. Then I'm walked into another office, and sitting in the office are guys in suits. And the general manager at the Fox News station said, uh, the owner, general manager goes, the general manager goes, I need some help on my morning TV news talk show. I got to liven it up. It's too boring. And I want you to be that guy. And I'm like, huh? news anchor? <laughs> yeah. I go, I've never been a news anchor. That's okay. You know, you were never a sports talk coach. You became one. You never right. coached. You became one. Blah, 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 blah. It'll be fine. I go in. I do a couple of dry runs by myself. Here I am. I'm a news talker. I got to wear a suit every day. I'm on the set. In makeup. New Orleans. In New Orleans. <laughs> I'm doing morning news. And then they go, we like the way you set up things, so we want you to do the voiceovers every morning about, uh, good morning, New Orleans. These are your headlines for today. You know, Bo right. Thompson wins the lottery, quits at BT. He's a multimillionaire. <laughs> that and more. I'm Jerry Valancourt. Welcome to Fox Morning News. And I'm like, I can't believe this. So, From Louisiana's home team, this is Fox 8 News at noon. Well, you load up on treats for the kids when they come to your door for Halloween, right? But what can you do to offer your grown-ups, the grown-up visitors, and have some fun? Marvin Allen joins us, mixologist at the Carousel Bar. He's going to give us some ideas for, what do we call this, liquid candy libations? This liquid candy. Great. Welcome. Liquid Thanks spirits. for coming. Thank you. My okay, pleasure. I knock on the door. Trick or treat, it's me, an adult, the door opens. No candy. I don't want candy. I want one of these. I'm well, doing yeah. the TV, Yeah. and then all this consolidation took place. So another parent company that had shut down some news outlet wanted to transfer their people into this station. So they got to transfer their job. So I'm the new guy. Boom. I'm called in. And they're saying, we got to move you. So there you are in New Orleans, never expecting to be in New Orleans. You, you live through a hurricane. Mm-hmm. And you live through three hurricanes. Well, three hurricanes. But you live through the I old three storm shows where I lived in the studio or in the building for a minimum of at least two weeks at a time. Um, I guess what I should say is you live through the ultimate hurricane, the, the one that, that right. is just legendary. And, and through the process, you become uh, not just sports guy Jerry V, but you become news guy Jerry Valancourt. And all of a sudden, you have all these different facets. And at some point along the way, I imagine, well, I know what year it was. It was 2004. You get word that... The Charlotte Bobcats are coming to Charlotte. Basketball's coming back to Charlotte. Right. Meanwhile, you're down there uh, in, in the Big Easy, and, and you get that news. Do you remember what your reaction to that was? Yeah, I was very happy for the city. By the way, after I left the TV station, then a guy calls me up. He goes, hey, listen, I heard what happened on a corporate buyout. I want you to do my morning news show on, um, 
WRNO News Talk Radio. Yeah. So I'm doing a five-hour show in the morning. And you were still doing that uh, part of it when I started back at BT, because you and I used to yeah. have each other on when there were right. stories in right. either city. So, right. so yeah, I remember uh, trading stories with you, uh, being a News Talk morning host, yep. uh, thinking, uh, not I knew that you had the chops, but I remember thinking, boy, I, I never expected him to be doing this, and I know he didn't either. Fascinating experience. Yeah. But when I heard Charlotte got the Bobcats, I was thrilled for them. But I never forget, I was guesting on a show, and I said, I sure hope that the, the league gives them the name back. They yeah. have, they, they should be the Hornets. They're the Bobcats. We should get a new name down here, and they should be given the, the old name back, the Hornets. So I was thrilled for the city. They lost so much momentum in that transition, uh, but I'm happy they got their team back. I want to talk about uh, some overarching themes here as it relates to WBT and your career and and Charlotte, too, because that's part of the reason why I'm doing this podcast. Uh, It's to shine a spotlight on the history of the station, but kind of do that while at the same time look back at at how Charlotte evolved. And um, so when you look back at the Queen City here, uh, where it is now, where it came from, especially uh, during the genesis of the Hornets and the Panthers, uh, how would you answer that question? How has Charlotte evolved as you've watched it from your perspective over the years? When I first came back, and I used to come back when we'd play the Bobcats. Yeah. But I didn't get a total grasp, because you would come in on, a, on the plane, team bus, go to the hotel, play the game, you leave, right? When I moved back here and I, I started touring around the area with one of my daughters on where am I going to live, I said, my God, this place has exploded construction everywhere, apartments and this and that and the density. I said, they're growing too fast. I see a mini Atlanta. I hope they're going to be very, very careful. And I know about economic growth and all that song and dance, and I get it all. But, you know, it's like the deep sea diver. If you rise up too fast in the water, you get the bends. Yeah. The city has just grown. It's been unbelievable, Bo. The growth is, is amazing. I, it made me feel a little uncomfortable about, uh-oh, <laughs> but then, you know what I did? I transferred it to, how does this change afternoon drive? Yeah. Traffic's more dense, captivated audience, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But growth has been amazing. It blew my mind. It really did. So you came back to Charlotte. Yeah. Uh, after all those years, uh, you came back and did uh, afternoons on, on the ESPN radio affiliate yeah. here. Uh, talk to me about uh, the decision and the process of, of coming home. Uh, I was at home sitting on a sofa. And I'll give you a little backstory on it that you know it might might surprise you a little bit. But I'm at home, and I was reading uh, my script because I had won an audition on a on a short screenplay, Get Binkles, a comedy gangster movie. And I was I was practicing lines for a couple of scenes I had to shoot that evening. We had to shoot it at night. And Marty Herney, general manager of the Panthers, I didn't realize he owned the station, called me up and he said, "I need some help on my station." He thought I was still living in Charlotte, and he says, can you, can you drive over and have talk? I go, drive over? I'm living in New Orleans. And he goes, well, how long have you been down there? I'm about, <laughs> you know, about 15 years. <laughs> yeah. but, and I hadn't spoken to Marty in over a decade. So I come up, I spend two couple of days in Charlotte, and he shows me the place and drive around. Bo, um, I shouldn't have taken the job. The only reason I came back to Charlotte was to be closer to my daughter's. And I had been doing all the traveling for all of those years and doing all of those things you know, with broadcasting and sports. 
when I told them, I got a chance to come back to Charlotte, and they had grown up here when I was at Davidson, Appalachian yeah. State, and, and the region, James Madison in Virginia. And I said, that's great. So I did it for them. I have a daughter in Charleston, a daughter in Arlington, Virginia, five hours, three hours. I can drive to celebrate birthdays, holidays, easily. Can jump in a car and go. It's done that. And you know me. You ask me a question, I give you an honest answer. Mm-hmm. The job was a nice opportunity to come back, but it wasn't. It didn't turn out the way it was dressed up to be. Mm-hmm. A lot of things weren't fulfilled. They just weren't aggressive enough for me to compete. Nice people. And hindsight, I should have explored another opportunity. But um, I turned it into a positive and tried to help young producers that I had and be able to, hey, Saturday morning, I'm going to Charleston, see my daughter, have lunch or dinner. That was the big bonus. That was the big selling point for me. So uh, you are not working. I thought I was coming back here (laughs) with the previous program director who had called me like three times about an evening general lifestyle show with sports and politics and city issues. But it didn't turn out. So, you know, whatever. You know, he went went by way of the buffalo. (laughs) Well, um, when you think back on uh, that era from 96 to 2002 mm-hmm. at WBT, uh, what, what things come to mind immediately? What, what, do you, what do you latch on to from those days? It was a competitive, professional company that wanted you to excel, well run, and you knew you were in the serious radio business, but with the f- sprinkling of fun on top and camaraderie, the staff meetings, the, the bonding, the, the evaluations, the meeting with your program directors, with Rick Jackson, the diversity of the talent. I saw the changing of the guard when, mm. when Henry Bogan was here and they made all the changes and, and the whole thing and program directors, but you knew you were in a heritage building that was built on wanting to be successful. How are you, guy? I'm great. We, we uh, One of the girls brought a cake for you. Raul, my driver, is here. Raul doesn't care and, for me. No, he doesn't no, care. No, no, no. <laughs> Raul, Raul says he sticks <laughs> between his fingers. I think that's a bad sign. I don't think that's a good sign. But uh, Dawn came in with the, with the cake today for you to commemorate your final show on WBT. We've been telling people all afternoon to go to the store and purchase cassette tapes to tape the show for oh, you. Oh, boy. Did you, you weren't here when the first one came on in 79. You're, no, still, was, you're still in pants in, in grammar yeah, school. sure. Nice to see you. Thanks for the And kid. exactly how All long will it be before you're back on the air again, Henry? Oh, uh, Sunday. Uh, probably. Yeah. Sunday. <laughs> Henry, I want to leave you with this one thought. We talk sports all day, and people talk about athletes, but you've demonstrated throughout your career three qualities that athletes aspire to, and that is that you have been reliable, you have been consistent, and you have been durable. Thank you. And not many people do that in any profession. Thank you. And thanks for your entourage here, all nine of them. Thank you. Thank you, gang, and thanks for the cake. Have a great show. Thank you, pal. Okay. It was just like, it's like a great foundation of good, fun radio. Well, and you knew. It fueled my, it further fueled my addiction to it. Well, you were in uh, an interesting era because Randall Bloomquist came in here and he right. was the program director, and, uh, and and then after Randall came Bill White, right? And and you were here during an era, and it's interesting the way you described that because uh, you knew that you had a foundation behind you yeah. of, of 
many, many. I mean, this station is, uh, I'm doing this podcast because we're a few years away from turning 100. It's so, a fabulous idea, by the way. Thank you. Uh, well, and I, I'm honored that you would be part of this, and I'm so happy. But but you knew you were coming into a place that had a long heritage mm-hmm. before you got there. Yeah. But you also had to know that you were one of those change agents. If you have a place that's been around as long as this one has, uh, you're going to have different eras. I was talking to Hancock about this when he retired, and I said, you just finished the Hancock era, and there was another era before him, and the Grady Cole era, and Ty Boyd, and you could, we've been around so long, there, there are multiple eras, and multiple eras of really rich, uh, incredible talent. But you... I'm wondering how much you really thought about this at the time. You knew that they were asking you to come in and do something different. Mm-hmm. You knew that uh, you were purposely being uh, asked to come in and kind of shock the system mm-hmm. a little bit. Mm-hmm. But how much did you think about being that change agent? I, I didn't, really didn't think about it in that way. Maybe I was too immature at the time or too early in the career. But every job I've had, I was told, just be you. Mm-hmm. And... I was always able to reinvent and change with the times. You have to. Just like a coach, you got to redesign your offense. There's new trends, new style players, new style of play. I used all my coaching and teaching principles in broadcasting, but when I saw that change coming, radio had to be, it had to be entertaining. It had to be informative. It had to be captivating. You have to be fearless. You can't be afraid about opinions. You try to please everybody, you're going to screw it up. And I was always fearless, always direct. Not rude, playfully rude. You know, try to always end the call on a good note uh, and a playful note. But I saw it all changing. And I said, this is perfect for me because this is me. And when it changed again, I was able to change again. And then when I saw people asking me, well, your skills will transfer to any format you want to do. And I used to call some people that I knew were ex-consultants, evaluate me, and I'd send stuff out. I say, V, you could play any market you want. You're like Gumby. Remember Gumby, the character? (laughs) You can bend and flow. You can throw different colors on the canvas, which I incorporate the same philosophy. I'm Jerry V, damn it. Yeah, (laughs) crying out loud. You know who I am? Table for two in the back. (laughs) By the way, I have restaurants in town give me the same table every time I come in. Do you know that? (laughs) As well they should. That's a true story. Oh, I believe it. But I saw the change coming, and I hated to see people go. Yeah. But you learn you have to let go of certain styles and tradition and reinvent yourself, redesign your offense to continue growth. If not, your audience never expands and grows. And then what happens, your, 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 your notoriety, your market share as a station starts to shrink. you got to roll along with it because the tide's going to come in and out. It's either going to take you with it. Oh, you're going to know how to keep that beachfront going. Well, I hear you talking using uh, phrases that a coach would use, and that's uh, the way I look at you as a case study, as a broadcaster. Uh, you are always half coach, half broadcaster. Yeah, yeah. And and I want to ask you, uh, and, and this is this could be from broadcasting or coaching sure. or both. Uh, I used to love to listen to you uh, interview Hubie Brown when he used to come on your show. And, you know, Hubie still does. Uh, he's still an analyst for uh, ESPN yeah. doing the NBA after all these years. But um, you used to talk about Hubie. You've, talk, you've talked about Jim Valvano and obviously Bob McKillop. Uh, influences. Uh, both in the world of coaching and the world of radio, if you had to uh, name a few in your wow, career. that's a great one. The biggest piece of early advice I got in my coaching career, I was 22 years old, when Dean Smith would invite high school coaches and come and observe practice. And Dean Smith, 
who I ran into several times. And one particular year, when they had to have a great recruiting year, I ran into Dean Smith six different times in a 10-day span on recruiting trips, when mm. in North Carolina had to have a great recruiting year. Well, anyway, Dean Smith told me, uh, congratulations on a first job. And I picked his brain raw questions, drills, spoke to assistants, Eddie Fogler that I knew and those guys. And Dean Smith said, you have good instincts. You know, always speak to the wise people. You know, what's the toughest thing I need to learn about this business? I got the energy, I got the love. He goes, yeah, technique or results. Never forgot that, wrote it down. He said, for example, if you got a guy that's scoring 25 points a game, but his jump shot is ugly as could be, you going to try to change the shot just to prove you can coach? Or are you going to let him keep that style? Technique or results? And then he told me a Michael Jordan story. Hmm. He said they were evaluating game tape one day, and they noticed Michael Jordan always had the wrong foot up defensively, was playing the wrong angle all the time, but he led the team in steals and deflections and defensive stops. So we had to make a decision as a staff, do we change his technique and slow him down or let Michael be Michael? They had to let him be Michael. And then he told me James Word. So Dean Smith would be one. Al McGuire mm-hmm. would be another one. Dave Gavitt from Providence. And the reason was Al McGuire, his showmanship, playfulness, and how he can commute with the media. Dean Smith, because of the practice preparation, the drills, game strategy. Dave Gavitt of Providence, because he told me all about mini games. He invented the mini game in practice where you would say, okay, Bo, you're down five, three minutes to play, put put it on the clock, we're going to scrimmage. Uh, he would create pressure situations within the scrimmage. So those three were big. John Wooden was another. I spent time with John Wooden at the five-star basketball camp. UB Brown was another one who helped me design game charts that he used, and I transferred them and altered them so they'd be broadcast conducive because I used to chart every possession. Steve Martin thought I was nuts. How do you do that? I chart every possession so I could tell the story within the game. Now, did you take pointers or, you know, watch, as an example, Hubie Brown, both as a coach and a broadcaster? Oh, yeah, and as yeah. a clinician. Because yeah. when I used to hear him on your show, it, it would usually happen when you mentioned earlier that you used to do the, the pregame shows uh, and your regular WBT yeah. show from the site. And if Hubie was ever doing a game, he would come over and sit down with always, you. Always, always. And listening to the two of you guys talk was like poetry. Oh, thank you so much. Um, yeah, I, I watched him give basketball clinics an endless amount of times. And I never forget when I got hired to work the five-star camp back in the day when even college coaches and all could work it. And then I was offered the opportunity. He called me up one day. So, I hear you're a man now. (laughs) You're a man. I didn't realize this. They told me I was the first closer. The closer is the guy that does the final lecture of the week to speak at three different sessions of five-star. So I'm going to speak at the Honesdale camp, which was the original camp, Honesdale, Pennsylvania. So I'm going to speak the Pittsburgh camp, uh, the new camp they opened in Radford, and then the one in Honesdale. And he goes, now you're a man. (laughs) When they ask you to speak at Honesdale, that means you're in. (laughs) And there was one week, Rick Pitino spoke on a Monday, John Calipari on a Tuesday, 
Jack Ramsey, Hall of Fame coach, yeah. uh, on um, on that Wednesday. Dr. Jack, right? Hubie Brown spoke Thursday, and I spoke on Friday. Wow. And I, I was the closer after I was coaching. I was with the Hornets for a few years. I never forget the time when there was a record attendance of like 250 college coaches at Five Star Observing Talent, and they allowed me to present one of the awards. And Hubie Brown says to me, <laughs> He goes, hey, you got to be very careful in this business because they'll blow a lot of smoke up your eye, but don't let it get to you. <laughs> but he taught me um, the meticulous, and all these coaches had him. You know, Bobby Crimmins with his playful style and how he did his things, and guys like Dave Odom. Pete Gillen, another guy that I sat with, taught me all about the motion offense. I would seek people out to pick their brains, you know, on the pro and college level. I was a purist. I was just in, we helped design the charts that I would take with me to all the games. But, yeah, so those are just some of the mentors. And I hope I didn't fail to mention anyone because I've met so many good ones, great ones. What about broadcasters? Uh, were there broadcasters that uh, you, you wished to pick the brain of or, or uh, want to mention over the years? Neil Rogers out of Miami has uh-huh. passed away. Drops, creativity, quick wit, hilarious. Phil Henry uh-huh. used to conduct his own interviews on the show, interviewing himself, and yep. he was the interviewee. Uh, Don Imus. Yep. Um, Howard Stern. Uh, you borrow from all of those. Right. Uh, those, those are just some. I know I'm probably missing, but those. Uh, uh, and on the sports side, Christopher Mad Dog Russo. Cowherd is terrific. Uh, Rome is terrific. And then there's some local people from other cities that, that I admired. But I, I would listen to all of them just to see what kind of offenses they ran. But I, I was always strong enough to always come back and be myself. Yeah. Sound drops and use and implementing imagery I would borrow from people, but I was always myself personality-wise. Uh, any words about any of your Hornets colleagues over the years? I mean, you worked with Steve Martin for a long time. Yeah, I saw Steve. Steve was in my studio last year. Bob Licht is still in New Orleans. I haven't seen Gil. and uh, Jeminski? Mike I saw in town a couple of times because we're all taking such different paths. Yeah. Uh, Sean Kelly left a New Orleans job. I think he's doing some things for NBA radio. but So we'll see what the next step's going to be. When I, uh, when I say WBT, what did it mean to uh, spend those years here? Oh, it was fabulous. Great foundation. It was like uh, in broadcasting, I use a sports analogy. There are certain teams that resonate with you that you would like to play for. You, know, you could say Yankees, Celtics, the great Carolina teams, or this or that, or... BT is a heritage station. So when I talk to people, a lot of people go, you were at WBT. Yeah. You know, that's that's up there in the the upper echelon of what radio stations are all about. So it's like a badge of honor. You know, you were in the you were in the great hall. Well, I see they have my picture hanging in the bathroom. They got a plaque. That's the Jerry V. Hall of Fame. Right above the sink, it says, wash your hands before you leave. Hey, hey at least you're in the bathroom. Right? <laughs> well, but, you know, all those things, you just look at you both through the years. You maintain your motivation, your drive. You've reinvented yourself. You kept your creativity. You're doing one of the toughest 
formats in the industry, Morning News Wheel. It's so tightly wound. I know what you go through. I listen to you. The formatics, the clock, the timing. I know when you had me on as a guest a few times, I know he's probably got a three-minute roundhouse. Got to get in, got to get out, you know, so... Well, I mean, I, I've said it before, and I'll say it again, V. Uh, I'm glad it. I'm here. I didn't think I'd be, be able to do this interview two years ago. I had the hell skate out of me. But. Well, uh, so hang on a second. Talk about that for a second, because I, that's an important part of the of the journey to where oh, yeah. you are right this moment, yeah. too. Well, you know, as the older you get, you have more stories and different chapters to tell that young people don't have an opportunity, and you, some opportunities you don't want them to experience. But you don't know this, but when you were with me during creative projects back in the days of BT. You, mm. you never knew this because I, I never told anybody. Zoki knew one day. Jim Zoki, a sports guy, one day drove me to the emergency room here in Charlotte in the middle of a show. Now, he has since told me the story of this, but I've never heard it from your standpoint. Yeah, I went in to get a physical uh, in Charlotte. It was in April of 1999. I have certain dates in all my journals where I write ideas, and I always open a new journal with key dates in my life. And uh, in 1999, I went in for a physical, and something had happened, and they said a virus had gotten into my heart uh, that causes like a myopathy, hmm. and it impacts what they call the ejection fraction, your heart's ability to pump. And I didn't know what was happening to me. So they, they discovered this during a basic physical that I went in for an extensive one. And this was during your time I'm at BT. I'm on the air, yeah. yeah. Bo, when I would go out and do remotes at this time, I would literally be praying when I'd be walking out of my car to go to the remote site asking God, don't let me drop dead here. Because the myopathy that they discovered is associated with what Reggie Lewis passed away with and others. There's different degrees of it, but yeah. I wasn't emotionally in control enough to be thinking about what this was. Um, this was in, uh, in April, April 5th, 1999. I did two weeks of shows. You didn't even know this. Mm -hmm. I'm wearing an eight-piece heart monitor. Wow. And I'm doing shows. And... Every time a producer would leave the studio to get a coffee during the break and I was in the studio by myself, I was petrified. The doctor tells me, we got to put your ducks in a row. Ducks in a row? <laughs> he had a horrible bedside manner at the time. <laughs> yeah. Ducks in a row? Because, yeah, you got to bring your family and we got to do ducks in a row, you know. Um, and then he's explaining it to me. And he goes, well, we're going to start to treat this thing. Some of them reverse themselves and get better. Some of them don't. Some get worse. Uh, so they put me on these medications. I can't sleep at night. I'm prepping for shows, freaking games, mm -hmm. and I'm doing this. So the new meds they put me on at the time, I had a funny reaction to them. So one day I call 911, and they come and get me. And they tell me, where are you? Listen to this, Bo. The voice on 911. Your name, please. And I gave her the name. And she said, is this Jerry V? I go, yeah. And my sense of humor clicked in. I said, if you find me face down in the lawn, that's me. And she says, no, you're going to be okay. And I go outside to where I was living. And I said, I'm going to go outside and sit on the steps. And I go outside, Bo. And these two guys 
One guy looked like Lawrence Taylor, the former linebacker for the Giants, and, and, and they're, they're working on a car. And I walk out, I go, I just called 911. Could you keep an eye on me? The guy jumps over the hedges and he grabs me and he puts his hand on my chest. I go, I'm okay, I'm okay. And he goes, no, 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 no. And he starts praying. He was a ministerial student. And he goes, we're going to let nothing happen to you, Jerry V. I swear to God. And then all of a sudden, here comes the ambulance. And they got the gurney, and they're running right by me. <laughs> they're, they're running, they're going right by me because I was living in an apartment. They're running down the hall. I go, no, it's me. It's only me. Wow. So then they, they signed me into the hospital, and the doctor goes, we signed you in as an alias. I go, what? What, am I a movie star? He goes, there was a rumor going around I had died. Somebody had called the station. Uh, he said one of the news stations had called and say, did Jerry V. die? Wow. And then the nurse, uh, the, the nurse team, the, them that came in, I was having an anxiety attack, mm-hmm. basically, and the, and the reaction to the meds, they had to change. And I never forget, one of the nurse practitioners said to me, we're going to take good care of you. The, the guy in the ambulance had me wired up. And he goes, you see that monitor? That means you're Okay. You're nervous by what happened, the diagnoses, and by the meds are reacting. It happens. It's normal. And then the, one of the nurse practitioners came in with two of the other doctors, and she said, uh, we're going to take good care of you because if we let something happen to you, my fiancé would never marry me. <laughs> uh, so between the Zoki taking me here and that, that experience puts you in a zone and 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 this was 99 and then with treatments and all and things get better for you that experience puts you in a different room you know the old you go to a motivational seminar and people maintain the lesson for about 15 minutes then they go back to being who they are right i thought i wouldn't wake up from my sleep but i went to the store and i bought t-shirts and boxer shorts that would match so i could sleep in and I told this story to the, the Hart Foundation in Louisiana, the state. And I would lay straight in the bed. You want to know why? Because I said to myself, if I die in my sleep this way, they won't have to, like, break my bones and all to straighten me out to put me in a casket <laughs> as wow. if I die all curled up. You're getting all these crazy thoughts. Now, um, I, I never knew... The majority of this, most of this. No, I didn't share it with everybody so, because it's something you want. I didn't want to be treated differently. I didn't want sympathy. Uh, but that one day when I told Zolk, said, Zolk, could you take me to the hospital? And he's got this look on his face like, oh, what the heck's going on? <laughs> and it was gracious of him to do it. I didn't want I didn't want to go in. I didn't want to be looked at and be treated any differently. I still wanted to be me and perform. So that was that was 20 years ago. Yeah, it was 99. So things uh, re- regulated and, and you, you moved on, or, or is this something you've dealt with No, you ever deal since? with it for the rest of your life, but it's managed. Right. It's managed. Some guys, it gets worse, and it gets worse. But what resonated me, I had to go to counseling. I went to counseling for seven weeks because the, 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 the bedside manner used by the physician, and I won't mention his name, still resonates when he told me, oh, this is really serious. You got to get your ducks in a row. And it was such an aggressive tone. It was like, 
hell, I'm going to drop dead. Because then every, every story you read about football players and basketball players getting all ill, they had a certain... Monty Williams had the same thing. Yeah. Um, the co- who coaches now in Phoenix. Uh, we, he and I had a long conversation in New Orleans. We, we bonded over that. It puts you in a whole different room mentally as far as motivation about uh, it makes you more fearless. And it sounds like a cliche when you go... It's part of the motivation why I don't care if I don't please everybody with my opinions. Not that I'm going to deliberately insult, but that's part of the fearlessness that you have of, I'm going to talk radio business. I have an obligation to give you my real opinion. You asked me the question. Here's my opinion. And I didn't care if you thought, well, you might lose some audience members. Who gives a crap? What do you want me to lie? So that went on, and then two years ago, when I move up from New Orleans, hope I'm not depressing you. I no. move up from New Orleans, but this is all part of motivation. No, but uh, as you're telling this story, here's what I'm thinking in my head, and this is a theme you've talked about. I passed you. I'm with you one day in a studio. Yeah. And we're doing all this creative stuff, and I'm going to hope he doesn't notice this. <laughs> <laughs> Me? You mean yeah, you? <laughs> I, I had no idea, but yeah. but you know, you you bring up a theme that has really permeated throughout everything you've done, and that is you can get into it with a caller. There are times when you listen to your show and you sounded like you were fired up and angry. Yeah. But uh, most, I say, nine times out of ten, you would end the phone call on some sort of. Uh, and not always positive, but comedic note. And yeah. I, yeah. I always remember with you the first time I heard you say, "Get off my phone, yeah. Bob Grant." <laughs> yeah. I stole that from Bob Grant in honor of him. But uh, it was "Get off my phone" with a little bit of a chuckle too. Yeah. So you kind of knew, hey, yeah, we're 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 jousting. We're we're at the battle here, yeah. but we're also uh, let's go have a beer. After Get off over. my phone. I'll buy lunch. Yes, exactly. I always leave him on that note to know that it was just in the spirit of the opinion that it wasn't a personal thing, and I was legitimately upset with some of the callers. How could you say such an idiotic thing? What are you doing after the show? Uh, <laughs> thanks for the call. Don't be a stranger. Let's do it again. And that disarms them. But two years ago, 2017, Bo, I'm in town. I have to get new physicians. Because, you know, when you move, got to get a general practitioner. Blah, yeah. blah. I go in. Coincidentally, the urologist is a New Orleans guy. Just moved into Charlotte 12 years ago. Wow. And he says, well, let's just take you as a new patient, V, and let's just do a whole scan, you know, the urology stuff, so we can start a file. Like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And we're talking, boom, boom. I get a call from him like two days later, and I have to go in for a consultation. And he said, we found this large mass around one of your kidneys. And then he paused, and he said, I'm going to tell you, it's pretty large, and I just want to be honest with you. And I've set up another consultation for tomorrow. Uh, there's 99% chance this is cancer. So I'm like, this moment of calmness just mm-hmm. came in. I said, okay. Uh, I like put on the coaching hat, you know, two minutes to play, down six. You win the game, you go to the NCAA type of mentality. I said, okay, I'll see you tomorrow. Give me the particulars. Just give it to me. Coach speak, bullet point, bullet point. And he does. I come in for the consultation. Uh, the next day I go to the Levine Center. Uh, and uh, I sit in a group with the doctor, the surgeon, the assistant surgeon, a nurse practitioner, another physician. And my daughter is up so she can understand all the medical jargon because she's a nurse practitioner. 
and uh, they have the x-rays up, and he goes, uh, we need to take this out. And the guy turned around, and he goes, listen, I'm going to be real honest with you on this, okay? And I know you want it straight. And they were, their, their bedside manner was brilliant. They were brilliant. This is probably cancer. We're going to go in. We're going to remove it. And we're going to do some exploratory work. We're going we're gonna to check the lymph nodes and the whole thing. Okay? Do it as quickly as you can. You go home, you're in a state of, oh, crap. Because mm-hmm. you know of people that lost the cancer. So my daughter's there. She put on her nurse practitioner facade. Okay. She explains things to me. They schedule a surgery. Um, <laughs> you'd love this. Uh, as they're prepping me, I said, you have any requests? Anyone you want contacted, whatever. I said, yeah, I got one request. When I recover in a recovery room, I want the NBA playoffs on on that TV in my room. There you go. And it was on. <laughs> when I came up, they, the game was on. And the surgeon came in and a couple of members of the staff watched some of the playoff game with me. And we chatted about it. I have the surgery. And he goes, we couldn't save that whole other kidney. We had to chop some. We did exploratory. We took out the lymph nodes. I mean, we, we checked lymph nodes. We explored, did a lot of probing. They did it robotically. Bo, it looked like I got shot with a machine gun, you know, like seven or eight entry wounds. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. So we'll get back to you 10 days for the lack of 10 days. Jeez. It's like 10 years. So I got to take all these pain meds. You know, you're carrying the freaking bag, the pain meds. And I got my sisters are up. My daughter's taking care. They released me early because they said, your daughter's a nurse practitioner. She can give you the same care at home that we can here. Um, high as a kite with the pain meds. Within two days, I get a phone call. And Bob, I, I see the phone ring. Oh, I don't want to answer it. And I see voicemail. I hear the doctor on the voicemail. Uh, this is, um, listen, I, I generally don't call and I don't leave messages, but I wanted to give it to you because it's good news that the tumor was large. We removed it. We had to chop off some of the, you know, the system in there. We did exploratory. It's benign. Wow. And I went back to sleep. <laughs> you think you would get up and share yeah. the night? I went back to sleep. I wake yeah. up like a, a couple of hours later, and I come limping out of the room because you can't walk straight. And I go to my sisters and daughters. Oh, by the way, there's a phone message in there you might want to listen to. I think everything is okay. What are you talking about? Boom, they play it, and then you hear them jumping up and down. They're all happy. You go, Why didn't you tell us? Yeah, What's you, the matter with you? You of all people. What is the matter with you? You get, I was, I was just high as a kite. I went back to sleep, you know, and then doing the meal. And then, you know, you're going through it. So that scared me to death. Because you're always thinking the slow thing. But yet, it was another fuel of motivation. And that's why I get so incredibly frustrated with people that don't want to get better in, in the industry. or in what they, they, they think they got it made. They don't have to get better. And that absolutely frustrates me. If they don't respect history and legacy and other people that are talented and their mentors and people that help them and where they are frustrates me. And I've seen a lot of that. But those two episodes uh, resonate and I use it as fuel to stay up here. We all slip. But you got to have little rooms you can walk into mentally to boost you. Jerry V. 
Want to see my scars? <laughs> I don't know. Is that a theater of the mind thing or what? Oh, my goodness. The Century Podcast. Uh, and the V-Man has, has not disappointed. Um, last thing we I, I want to cover here. Sure. If you could uh, say something to your Charlotte listeners over the years on all the stops you've made, radio and TV, yeah, what would you say to them? Anything you go after, how successful you'll be in any endeavor, in anything you try to chase, is directly related to how easy you are intimidated. You cannot be intimidated. You can't. You have to give it the shot. You would rather fail on your terms that you gave it the shot, you chased it, and you didn't get it, than chase it under somebody else's terms. Don't be intimidated. Give it a shot. You always bounce. And then it's in the bounce. If you chase it and you don't get it and you fail, you got to learn to bounce. You got to bounce. It's the next play, like in like in sport. It's about the next play. It's about a series of plays. The greatest talents and everything all experience failure, a firing, a failure, a, a dip in the success. But the thing is, you got to be willing to bounce and don't be embarrassed by it. Don't be intimidated. It's all connected. It's great to see you. Thank you for doing this. And of course, the dirtier the ankles on a waitress, the better the chili. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was coming. I didn't, Bo, didn't know it's, it's great to see you, Bo. Thanks for having me in, and continued uh, great success to you. So here's some tips that they gave me on how to pick a, how to pick a winner. I love the ponies. <laughs> Throw out any horse whose dosage index is more than 4.0. Now, that is the numerical estimate. I love the ponies. <laughs> Throw out any horse who's failed to finish in the money in a one-and-one-eighth mile prep. Because you know I love the ponies. Are you going to a Kentucky Derby party? Because Denise loves the ponies. <laughs> My mama loves the ponies. Uh, Throw out any horse who has not worked out more than once at Churchill Downs. I love the ponies. <laughs> Throw out any horse not ridden by a nationally prominent rider. I love the ponies. <laughs> I got Silver Charm and uh, Hello and Captain Boggan and Pulpit are my top four. I got Silver Charm as my winner. Hey, how many times I got to tell you, I just love the ponies. I want to say thanks to Adam L.A. Freeway Thomas, who is now at KSL News Radio in Salt Lake City, and also John Moore, a.k.a. Androman. Of course, John is with me every morning on WBT. Both those guys were instrumental in helping me track down some of the vintage V audio that you heard in this podcast from their archives. Wait, wait a minute. You, you don't know who Androman is? Androman, Androman, gets his energy from a can. Got a gleam in his eye, got big arms like Popeye. Look out, here comes the Andrew man. He's a large, imposing dude, except for when he's in the nude. Break a record, yes he can. He's Sammy Sosa, he's the man who can outdo the Andrew man. When he swings that bat, you know he's aiming for the fence. Don't he know that steroids can really make you dance? Andrew man, Andrew man, grumpy, anxious Andrew man. Free steroids, make him strong. Roger Maris, record gone because baseball is really screwed up. So much hype that I threw up. Thanks to the Andromans. Carolina Hurricane Ticket Office. This is Linda. May I help you? Yeah, I was calling to see what time the uh, game starts tonight. Well, what time can you stop by? 
And now, your Carolina Hurricanes! You listen to the show every day? Just about. Really? Has it made you smarter? Uh, no. <laughs> How often do you listen to this program? Um, my, when I'm with my dad, my dad loves you. Oh, he does, huh? He says you're the man. Oh, well, your father's a very smart man. <laughs> Did you know that? I don't think so. Because <laughs> it's more than sports. We talk life. What encompasses life for a sports fan? What affects the sports fan? And we want to be there for them. We're their, we're their connection, their icon. We want to be there for them when times are bad. Reminds me of a... Reminds me of the day when baseball tried to come here. Remember that? Oh, yes. I was so proud of the lads that day. They lined the streets downtown. The finest colors. Back in the year of 1998. It was a long time ago. They tried to bring the game and they marched that Saturday morn. Welcome to the show, lads. L.A. Freeway, who's screening our calls in the other studio, said he just got a phone call out of Commerce, Georgia. Says, coming in loud and clear on BT. He's preaching the word of the V-Man all over the state. And as well he should. Don't forget, you join us Monday through Friday, 4 o'clock. We kick it off on 99.3 WBT-FM. And then at 6.30, you hear us on both 11.10 a.m. and 99.3 FM. So welcome to the family. I'm going to end by starting the sentence and let you finish sure. the sentence. Love, live, and laugh. Because it's a short pony ride. <laughs>